welcome to today's edition of our Seven Investing Podcast, where it's our mission to empower you to invest in your future. I'm Seven Investing founder and CEO, Simon Erickson. I'm, I'm glad to welcome back one of our return guests. Andrew Shannon is the co-founder and CEO of Procure Asset Management. Andrew, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. I'd love to check in with you on, on a couple new things that you're working on these days. I'm thrilled to be back. Thanks for having me. Andrew, you have just released a new ETF. It's called the Procure Disaster Recovery Strategy ETF. Ticker on that is FEMA. Uh, tell us a little bit about this and what led you to, to launch this in the first place. Thank you for that introduction. Uh, so you know, natural disasters are something that have been occurring since before uh, humanity existed. And what we've seen are that there are many different trends over recent years that have showed that natural disasters are becoming more frequent, more devastating, and more costly. Um, fortunately, we've also noticed that there have been fewer fatalities from natural disasters. And one of those reasons is because we're doing more to educate people to work with preparedness, and we have better tools for the recovery efforts from these natural disasters. But this was uh, an area that has been you know, pretty close to me for, for years. Um, you know, I, I went to school down in New Orleans at Tulane University. It was my junior year when Hurricane Katrina struck the city and uh, the Gulf region. Um, I was living in New York City when Hurricane Sandy hit. And you know, natural disasters seem to be something that continue no matter where you are in the world. Natural disasters are a global phenomenon. And to me, it was always something that I was interested in and finding a way to compile the companies um, or many of the companies that are helping in the various areas of natural disaster life cycles. So you have the, you know, the very earliest stages before you even know a specific natural disaster is coming, you have uh, you know, the ability to build certain things into your ecosystem, whether that's infrastructure, technology, um, you know, figuring out how to protect the resources that you have from potential future natural disasters. Then you have, hey, a natural disaster looks like it's about to be forming, uh, whether it's in the ocean or a volcano or whatnot. And there's monitoring systems that help us track weather patterns and changes of storms and things like this um, to the, hey, it's coming, time to get prepared, go to your store and buy plywood and things like that that you need for preparation to, okay, the natural disasters here, it's now past us, how do we rebuild? And so for us, it was a, a long-term project that we had been working on to work with uh, index providers and people knowledgeable of the natural disaster industry to build an index that could um, compri be comprised of many of these companies that aid in all different aspects of natural disasters. And it was really seeing the rise and increase of damages financially to communities that made us realize that, you know, unfortunately, whether we like it or not, natural disasters appear to be a, a significant growth industry and people looking to have exposure to these companies that are helping us protect or rebuild from these devastating events could be things that others beyond myself might be interested in having exposure to. Yeah, it's very true, Andrew. It's something near and dear to my heart as well. You know, growing up as a kid in New Orleans and then now living here in Houston, we've seen our share of hurricanes over the years as well. Uh, I wanted to go kind of bigger picture, maybe look at a little bit of, you know, the government's involvement in this. Uh, obviously, you know, with FEMA and funds and disaster recovery, there's there's some relief efforts for that kind of thing. But then the U.S. is also kind of at the, at the bigger picture, very interested in climate change and has got some some policy and stuff around that, too. 
Uh, where do you draw the line on what's and what's in the fund? You know, do you go more for kind of the response to disasters? Are you kind of looking bigger picture about things like uh, solar, renewable energy, climate change? And then also kind of what's your perspective on, um, you know, where the revenues are coming from and how the, the United States would be involved with this? Yes, yeah, so that's, a, that's a loaded question. Let's unpack it. <laughs> so, uh, no, absolutely. There, there are many different ways that companies are able to get involved and help us with this significant global challenge of, of mitigating and recovering from natural disasters. So uh, one area that you know, does provide natural disaster assistance in, in various forms, but was excluded from the index due to um, you know, significant diversification beyond these, just the, these areas um, was uh, defense companies. So a lot of aerospace and defense companies, they do a lot of things, um, you know, much of it not necessarily related to natural disasters, but those companies were removed. You know, another area that when you think of, say, a climate change fund um, or, or something of the likes, you know, renewable energy tends to be one of these significantly overweighted areas. And there have been renewable energy, there have been solar, wind energy ETFs out for you know, well over a decade. And to us, you know, whenever we try to create a new ETF, we also not just want to have a new theme that we tackle, but are we really providing new exposures for investors? And if you're getting the same companies, regardless of if you're in a broad-based tech fund or a, a US growth fund or a disaster recovery fund, and you're owning all the same names, you're not really providing anything new for investors. You're just overlapping the same exposures that they may already have in many cases. So you know, we didn't want this to be just another renewable energy fund. Someone that's looking for you know, low emission, low carbon, carbon credit, uh, renewable energy, you're, you know, that's not the focus of this fund. And you're not going to find many of those same overlapping companies. Um, this approach is really looking at natural disasters and saying, okay, well, if everything that we do to try to curb emissions and to fight climate change by being good stewards and good corporate governance and making sure we're environmentally sound and whatnot, that may fail. And natural disasters have been here before the ESG craze began, and it will be here for as long as Earth is likely here. Uh, so what are these other areas that are extremely critical that people are missing? And so you look at the, the composition of, of FEMA, and you see consulting and engineering and construction firms. You do need power um, and mobile and remote power sources when you have events like the Texas freeze that probably affected you and, and many people that you know two winters ago where the entire energy grid essentially went down because the temperatures were too cold for too long in Texas. And what was one of the most in-demand companies during that time? Generac. Yep. Exactly. A holding in FEMA. And so when you have natural disasters before, during, and after, if you have the ability to still maintain power, whether you're a municipality, whether you're a corporation, or you're just an individual trying to get by and survive while you're staying at home, generators are extremely important. So energy uh, is kind of covered somewhat by looking at these mobile um you know, energy uh, sources like generators coming from firms like Generac. Um, you know, water and waste is something that's extremely dangerous and important to consider when you have natural disasters. So a company like Clean Harbors, uh, you know, is extremely important with the removal of toxic and hazardous waste that you may see, say, after a hurricane or flood, 
when all of a sudden all this debris and potentially chemicals are now washed up ashore right down your street how do you get this out of your area and bring things back to normal um when you think about dredging you could look at a company like great lake dredge and docks and after hurricane sandy they helped rebuild double digit miles of coastline for new jersey after the horizon oil spill in the gulf something also close to you they also helped build up the sand levels so that you wouldn't have as much toxic uh, chemicals and oil washing up ashore on the gulf coast so there are many different things and aspects and companies that are involved in the various life cycle a really interesting area that we're seeing is that governments are starting to proactively decide, hey, we need to spend because spending now on prevention might save us money down the road for recovery. And so areas that are in high risk for natural disasters like coastal areas, um, you know, flood areas, earthquake and hurricane areas, you're seeing significant spending going in to make sure that we can weather these storms better. And so you'll see really interesting companies on that consulting construction engineering side that also have a major part in this fund. And you know, it's not just governments that spend money or corporations that spend money. There's a significant consumer aspect to this. So when you hear a hurricane uh, is coming to Texas and you live on the coast, what do you do? You probably go to a Home Depot or a Lowe's. And you go and you start buying plywood so that you can cover your windows. And after that storm has receded and you're trying to get back to your way of life, you might realize that you need paint. You might realize that you need tiles and flooring or roofing or many other things to repair your home. And so there is a decent size of consumer discretionary looking at these types of home goods stores as well that people tend to go to. And I think it's important to note that we were talking about how you know, the U.S. has done so much. When you look at spending, roughly 30% of natural disaster recovery spending is coming from the United States. But natural disasters are a global phenomenon. Roughly 90 something percent of uh, you know, seismic activity comes from the ring of fire area. So you have different pockets that might be higher likelihood of getting affected by different types of natural disasters. But roughly one third of the dollars being spent on the recovery efforts are coming from the US. Why is that important? Well, from the last 42 years, natural disasters have cost the US government roughly in total $2.2 trillion. Now we talked about this being a potential growth industry. The US, uh, the White House came out back in April saying that they believe by the end of the century, the cost of natural disasters to the US budget may be roughly $2 trillion per year. So that's almost what we spent over the last 40 years combined. Now that's just to the US budget. That doesn't factor in what companies are going to spend so that they're more prepared and can have continuity and be able to provide consistent goods and services throughout disasters. That doesn't include what consumers and individuals and households need to spend, like buying that generator or buying new paint or building things for your house to make it safer, like better drainage for the next coming flood. That doesn't include what governments, companies, and individuals outside of the U.S. are spending. 
So if you look at these numbers, this is one of the most shocking growth industries that are out there that people don't seem to necessarily be looking at from an investment perspective. And that's why we felt it was really important to try to put many of these companies together and provide that as an investing opportunity for, for individuals, hedge funds, maybe even insurance companies that realize that risks are out there and maybe these companies that insurance companies end up having to give a lot of money to to help pay off their claims for for people that have their policies, um, you know, maybe that's an exposure that they might also be looking for. That's a great point, Andrew. You know, and, and I like that you're taking a unique angle on this, right? Like you said, it's oversaturated in all the climate funds, all the ESG, you know, that's, you didn't ever want to be just another offering in a crowded field. I've enjoyed chatting with you and, and your partners in the, in the, in the uh, couple of months ago with uh, Procure AM, you know, about the space-themed ETF that you started. You have an ETF, you ticker on that as UFO. You've taken a unique angle on it, though, because any company could, or a lot of companies could have satellites out there, but you've actually mandated that the majority of revenue was dedicated uh, to satellites and things that were actually out in orbit. Can you tell me a little bit about the methodology? Based on everything that you just said, there's a, there's a wide net you could cast, right? Consumer, government, a, a bunch of different things. Can you tell me about the methodology? Is there anything specific that you're demanding for a company to be in this ETF? So there are numerous ways for companies to be qualified. Like we mentioned, um, aeros you know, aerospace and defense conglomerates, you know, there's a, a wall against them and those companies are filtered out. Um, but one of the things that could possibly um, make a company eligible for inclusion are things like having contracts with a group like FEMA or other related government agencies. Um, we actually just saw that uh, one of the, the top holdings in the fund, uh, Tetra Tech, had just announced yesterday that it received roughly a half billion dollar contract from the Army Corps of Engineers to help with things like um, recovery and removal of hazardous and radioactive waste. Um, you know, that's, that's a major government contract. And you look at something like Fukushima, and they weren't prepared. And before a disaster happens is when you're supposed to be really focusing on and doing what you can to prevent it. Um, so, you know, government contracts such as, such as those helping with different areas that may help us with natural disasters in the future. Um, remote energy. There's a lot of screening for things like companies that aid with things like wildfire, drought, hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, and such. So there are many different word searches that we're doing to analyze the different companies that are out there. And ultimately, the index provider goes through these names. Uh, they reconstitute the index annually. And at those times, they're looking to remove names that are becoming less uh, important in the area of natural disasters and looking to add companies that say maybe either have increased their profile in the natural disaster area, have won you know, large major government contracts or foreign government contracts for the area of aiding with natural disasters. So uh, it's not as much of a revenue focused model. And one main reason is because many companies don't break down this information. So it's even tougher to get this information as far as percentage of revenues and things like that. But it's really kind of keeping the finger on the pulse, constantly analyzing this industry, seeing who's winning contracts, seeing what companies are doing, new business lines that they're creating to address global natural disasters. And those are the types of companies that are making it into the fund. Yeah. And Andrew, when there is a disaster that hits, I mean, certainly there's going to be a spike. There's going to be a commercial impact from that. You can see revenues pop for a lot of these companies, whether it's cleanup, whether it's engineering, whether it's mobile housing, whatever it is, I mean, there's going to be a response to something that happens that sometimes can be pretty significant to, a, especially to a smaller company's revenue, top line or anything. 
Are, are is it, you know how many how many constituents you know do you want to have in the family? How many holdings do you want to have? Are, are you buy and hold, or you want to get in early? And if there's a pop, you're just going to kind of keep riding it out, or, or do you want to be a little bit more responsive based on things that are going on that might be one-time events? Yeah, so you know this is a passive global index that FEMA tracks. I think your know, individual investors will choose how they want to utilize a fund such as the FEMA ETF. And you know you might have people that say, "Hey, I want exposure to companies that are going to come and help aid me in my time of need because I live in a high risk area and I want some type of exposure to those companies that I might be relying upon in the future." And they might see it as a buy and hold. You might have a tactical hedge fund that says, "Hey, I just you know got an alert that there's a new you know, tropical storm developing in the Atlantic, and you know I think that this might be the big one." And I want to do this, you know, based on a catalyst trade and, you know, invest based on some natural disaster that either I'm aware of, or I think might occur sometime in the near future. And we mentioned insurance companies that might say, Hey, these are companies that you know, we have to, you know, spend a lot of money, uh, utilizing or our, the, our customers spend a ton of money to rebuild. You know, why wouldn't we want exposure to those companies? Let's invest in a basket of you know, global. In many, many cases, these are multinational uh, companies that are helping all around the world for various efforts as well. Um, you know, maybe they want exposure to that. I think this may check a lot of boxes um, for all different types of investors and for their various needs. And so I think that makes this you know, certainly interesting. Um, you know, when you do have major natural disasters, you get a lot of media cycle and coverage around them. Typically, um, you know, just just now we're talking about what's going on in Kentucky, and we're talking about wildfires and droughts and the lowering of water levels and in vital reservoirs that we have. You know, when there's a major natural disaster, that tends to start taking over news cycles, and these companies start to get paid a lot more attention to. And so, to the extent that there are larger events or the next you know, Katrina level event or other types of natural disasters, these are, this becomes an industry that starts to grab a lot more headlines and many people uh, might look to invest in an area that is about to start getting a lot of coverage. Yeah, and last but not least, Andrew, you mentioned uh, Tetratech, you know, getting a, a win here with the Army Corps of Engineers. Can you talk about a couple other companies that are, that are in this fund, including the one that overlaps with your, uh, your space themed ETF as well? Yeah, there is one overlapping name between UFO and the FEMA ETF, and that's Maxar. So when you think of natural disasters, one of the most important parts is identifying that there's a natural disaster and tracking that natural disaster, trying to figure out where it may impact. Um, you know, if it's something like a wildfire, you're tracking spread, how much of it's contained, how controlled it is, what kind of weather patterns do we see coming into the area that could shift or affect this wildfire? Well, a company like Maxar, who is a significant developer, manufacturer, and operator of satellites, does a lot to monitor weather patterns and natural disasters. Therefore, they have a place currently in both FEMA ETF and the UFO ETF. This space is an incredible part of how we deal with, mitigate, track, monitor, um, and alert um, people around the world to the formation of natural disasters. Well, fantastic. Once again, Andrew Chan and the, uh, the co-founder and CEO of Procure Asset Management. You know, a couple of months or a couple of years ago, I should say, they had the first space themed ETF with the ticker UFO on that one. Now they have the very first disaster recovery themed ETF, FEMA, uh, now available to be tradable for investors as well. Andrew, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for joining me on the 7 Investing Podcast as always. Thank you, Simon, and stay safe.
Certainly will, uh, helping us all weather the storms out there, whether it's financially or in other ways. We appreciate you for tuning in to this edition of our 7 Investing Podcast. We are here to empower you to invest in your future. We are 7 Investing. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.